Howdy, and welcome to Your Dog's Best Life. This is Leanne, and our special guest is our former partner who ran away, and we've recaptured her. <laughs> Emily is here today. Yay, Emily! I'm sorry, I had to get a real job and pay bills. <laughs> I have a real job and pay bills. <laughs> Mine's just not as demanding <laughs> no, you, as yours. I was going to say, no you don't, because I know what you do for a living. <laughs> Wait a minute, I think I should be insulted. Uh, <laughs> well, it's a real job, you just can't pay bills with it. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So, yeah. okay, so we're getting together because you and I are both kind of bad about occasionally possibly poking the bear on the interwebs on social okay. media. Okay, look, our, our rate of reinforcement sometimes <laughs> goes up with some dopamine-inducing activity on the dog book sometimes emily and i so emily for those of you who haven't met her is a you're a veterinary technician and you have a huge background in veterinary medicine how long you've been a vet a vet uh, you're not a tech not officially but not officially just, yeah yeah but you've been a veterinary assistant for how long 28 years yeah, so you're essentially a tech in everything but name. <laughs> yeah, Emily has this huge history of being in the veterinary profession, and I have a fairly long history of being in the veterinary profession, about, I think, 17 years, give or take. Don't and do the math, that's depressing. I don't, I don't. Between us, we, we should have a fairly decent grounding in, in common sense, and, and I and I know, and I think I speak for Emily as well, the other thing that we both really heavily rely on is this crazy shit science oh god i know where we don't where we don't just rely on what we feel is correct and that's what's yeah. really funny about the fights i get into on facebook is i will state facts and i will get attacked with feeling with emotion yeah. oh yeah absolutely and I'm like, look, I, I'm just telling you the facts. I don't have a dog in the fight. You do what, you know, you do you. I'm just telling you that factually you're on really weak ground. They're like, but you should, your feelings and my feelings and the dog. And I'm like, suck it up, cupcake. There's just nothing on your, you know, nothing back in your play. But my cousin's Aunt Mildo's <laughs> third cousin had a dog. I thought with Emily's background and her desire to engage in a, the occasional tussle online and and my same predisposition it would be fun to kind of do a little bit of whirlwind tour of the idiotic dog memes that travel the interwebs and pretty much bring them back down to reality and kind of poke holes in the stupidity Therein. Now, the first thing I'm going to state is as we discuss this, and we're going to mention this as it happens, a lot of the, the problem with memes is they are bumper sticker equivalents to reality. And the problem with that is they are dumbed down and they're often dumbed down to the point of becoming irrelevant or stupid. And the way I kind of look at this is remember the old, I guess there was an old, really old movies in the 50s or 60s called Reefer Madness. And it talked about how if you smoked the devil's weed, you you would like your head would fall off or explode and you would die. And you're going to be doing heroin by yeah, the weekend. By noon. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and so the idea was that if you put out this, this movie, this 
and I remember watching it way back in high school as a joke. So I, I don't remember any of the details. But the idea was that if you see this terrifying movie that you would not do marijuana. The problem is if you pepper your entire argument with bullshit, the nuance, the piece of the middle that says, you know, probably doing drugs is probably ill-advised versus not doing drugs. I mean, and it's kind of hard to be on a high horse when you're sitting there drinking whiskey and rye and saying you shouldn't do drugs, you know, kiss my ass. But if your argument really was don't do marijuana, then I think that you need to start from a place of, I don't know, facts instead of bullshit. So at the core of a lot of these arguments, there probably is a nugget of fact. And we're going to try to noodle into that nugget of fact if and when it appears. A lot of what we're going to talk about has very few, if any, studies. And so we're going to have to reach back to our I hate to say this out loud, almost 40 years of experience in the veterinary world. You did the math. <laughs> I told you not to do the math. To, and I did talk to another friend of mine who just celebrated her 30th anniversary at a single veterinary hospital. And I did wow. talk to her about several of these also to kind of get her numbers on it as well. Because I think numbers matter. We can have opinions and feelers all we want, but numbers are where the, ar- the, the argument touches reality and right. fact, if that were a thing. So, Emily, what is your latest or most hated internet meme on dog care? right now, today. The one that I will wade into every single time, like torches blazing, pitchfork sharpened, is the whole dogs in hot cars. At 70 degrees, your car will be 180 in under 10 minutes. And your dog will suffer and die of heat stroke. Is, is that not true? <laughs> Do you remember? Oh my God, I'm sorry. Slight sidetrack, but not really. Do you remember the Penn and Teller show on HBO called Bullshit? God love them. Anyway, if you haven't, you should really go look it up because it's basically this. Yeah, they love they love debunking bullshit. Yes. So my problem with this is that it is, are dogs shut in cars a concern? Yes. Do dogs die in hot cars? Yes, obviously. That's known, right? We see police dogs die in cars all the time and they have supposedly fail-safe backup systems. So I'm not saying that you should just you know, run out and leave your dog in a hot car because that would be dumb. But it's a really, generally that meme is accompanied by like a time frame, right? Like in 10 minutes, it'll be this temperature. In 15 minutes, it'll be this temperature, blah, 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 blah. And they fail to leave out one really simple thing and that's physics. So it's things like, and, and we have, I have actually, I've actually tested this When I had Chevy Equinox, my ex-husband had a Chevy Tahoe, and we both parked them in the driveway, and my Chevy Equinox was white, his Chevy Tahoe was like that tan dirt color that you get in the desert, and we actually temperature tested both of our cars one day, sitting in the driveway, equal sun exposure, whole nine yards, and his, the interior of his car was eight degrees cooler than mine. My car was white, his car was darker, his car is bigger. I had leather seats, he had fabric seats. His windows were tinted more than mine, but not on the windshield where the sun was. There's just, there's there's more airspace in his car than there is in mine because it's bigger. The, his has a higher roof, so there's more 
height in his car than in mine. There's so many damn factors that go into how fast a car will heat up that I just don't think a generalized meme will do it. Not to mention those people who regularly travel with dogs or work with dogs and know how to keep their dogs cool, right? Like if I've been blasting the AC in my car full bore for the last hour and a half and I pull into a Target parking lot and park in the shade to run in and grab a soda, first of all, my car will stay cooler if I keep the windows up because it'll hold in all that cold air. And secondly, I'm in the shade. Like, I don't know. There's just, there's so many factors involved before you can go being all vigilante and breaking windows. Not to mention, I know a lot of dog owners that if you break their window, you're going to have a bigger problem on your hands than you bargained for. <laughs> Namely, a large dog attached to your face. Yes. So one of the things I, this is what, this is one of the things that really, I hate to sound old, but I'm about to sound old. So there was a time and it was actually not that long ago when you could buy cars without air conditioning. Oh God. No, yeah, no kidding. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that meant. Well, you had to roll you, down the window for air yeah. conditioning. So that meant that human beings were locked in metal boxes traveling in places like Phoenix and Tucson and Yuma, uh, good God, Yuma and Needles (laughs) and all of all of the eastern part of Southern California. Yeah. And every time they stopped at a park, a stoplight, they were there or stopping well california they were stuck in traffic well not on the east yeah. not on the east side there's no traffic there they were stuck behind, behind tractors but yes they didn't burst in flames and instantly die no. so when i have my own dogs with me i'm very aware because like you said dogs do die in cars and it's incredibly tragic and very very sad however having said that there's no excuse about for lying about the danger And misrepresenting the danger. So if I have parked my car in the underneath the gas station shade and my car is cooled down to 60 degrees and I get gas and I leave my windows up, up, my car will probably be 70 or 80 degrees when I get back into it in 10, 15 minutes after getting gas. Yeah. And here's the, here's the other issue with that. So, okay. It's 80 degrees. My yahoos go out when it's 115 degrees outside and run around like idiots for easily 20 minutes with oh, yeah. nothing, nothing but water to drink. And they're fine. Like they choose to do it. They have shade. They have a pool. They opt to run around like idiots in 112 degree heat and then come inside and flop down. So you're telling me that, you know, even if it got to be 100 degrees for 10 minutes, that dog's going to die? Yeah, no. No, well, and again, I mean, my house, I I don't, well, you were just saying that you have no air conditioning. So Currently. if you, yes. it, it's funny, people would break into your house and rescue your dogs and leave you there. Yeah, <laughs> you there. Currently they could. Although my dogs are all passed out right now. They don't care. Yeah, they're sleeping. But, you know, there's other things to consider too. Like, okay, so there's the make and model of the car, right? There's the, the humidity in the air. There's the angle of the windshield. There's direct light, not direct light. There's also the breed of dog to consider, right? Now, if I were to pick up a freaking Frenchie from 
Maine and oh, yeah. drive it to Arizona right now and have it sit in the car for 10 minutes, yeah, I'd probably die. Like it's not acclimated to that. So those are, there's just so many factors to consider. I hate the whole like, nope, you left your dog in the car and breaking your window. Yeah. And there are quite a few states in Arizona is, or at least Pima County, our county is one of them where it is completely legal and permissible to break glass to rescue a dog. And, and I will tell people this. So and people get very rabid about this. It's just, I see a dog in a car. I'm breaking the window. Uh, no, there. Settle down there, Fluffy. A, yeah. if you break the window and the dog's not in distress, or if the windows are open, the dog is literally hanging out the car door, hanging out, probably shouldn't break the window. Just leave the damn dog alone. A dog in distress, in heat yes. distress in a car, yeah. has a very distinctive look. Yep. They are hyper panting. They are going to generally be, yeah, it's going to be the super high speed. Actually, um, Matilda kind of does it all the time. My little psycho border collie, because she's kind of a zinging little maniac. But it's super fast panic. They should look frantic. Yes, it's a a panicky pant. They're either going to be panicking or they'll be recumbent, as in sternal or laying on their side. The gums will be bad. It won't be a happy dog curled up in a nap in the backyard, back of the, back of the car. car. That is yep. not a dog in distress. And panting is not a sign of distress, folks. Panting is the same as us sweating. If you don't think that you would ever, that sweating is ever permissible when you drive around in a hot place, you're delusional. Dogs are going to pant. It's okay for them to pant. If you're truly concerned about a dog in a car, Stand on the other side of the aisle, watch the car, go into the store, have them contact the owner, any of these things. Don't call the freaking police, first of all. That should never be your first line of defense because A, they're freaking busy. B, they're going to roll their eyes at you unless that dog is truly in distress. And C, they got better things to do than make you feel like a hero for calling somebody like that. Like just call the owner out. Yeah. Don't break somebody's glass. I mean, unless now again, people do. And like we were saying, you know, police officers do. And of course it's a tragedy. It is a tragedy. Anytime. I mean, little kids, I read a a story a few years back. I have a Chevy Colorado and when the battery goes out on it, because the rats ate the wiring because rats. Yes. It, when it dies on you, because it quit on the way down the mountain, it quits with the doors locked. And oh. it's terrifying. Because if, you, if it's a June and the doors are locked and the windows are open, there's that moment of, oh, shit, I'm going to die yeah. in this car. Yeah. And a gentleman was in a Corvette in, I want to say, Texas, parked outside of a restaurant. And the same thing happened. He got in his Corvette and he went to turn over the engine and the engine didn't start, but it had locked the doors and he passed away inside the car. That is a horrible event. And no one should die like that child, human, anyone. It's terrifying and it's horrible. And yes, if you see a dog truly in distress, you must act and you have to act now. However, every dog in every car is not in distress. And every right. person who is clearly running in and out of a store does not need to be read the riot act by some busybody asshat who has nothing better to do with their time than worry about other people's business, not to put too fine a point on it. Yeah, no, no, seriously. Like, 
I want people to be concerned about dogs and cars. Don't get me wrong. Notice it. Take note of it. Take note of the time. Take note of the condition of the dog. Absolutely. But also make damn sure you know what the signs of heat stroke are in a dog. Make damn sure you know what that looks like before you decide to judge or call somebody. Because and, and generally, if the windows are open, the dog is fine. It, well, it, the other it thing has too to be is, pretty hot for the windows to be open and the dog to be in trouble. I mean, it would have to be 120 out, period, and the dog parked in the middle of a... And if the windows are open, generally the person knows the dog is there. Right. And they left the windows open for a reason. To right. keep the car's air moving. Because that goes back to those old days I was talking about where people didn't have air conditioning. I don't know about you, Emily, but when I was younger, my parents would leave my ass in the car back in the days when they hoped people to kidnap their children. Well, they did errands. <laughs> I'd sit in the car. And while they yeah. went to the plumbing store or whatever, and yep. we'd roll the windows down. And, and yep. the engine would be off. They weren't going to leave a child in the car with the keys. Right. <laughs> right. No, exactly. That's exactly Stupid. it. Yeah. They might take the car for a joyride. That's not what we do. <laughs> so, and we all survived. Now, were we thoroughly comfortable? No. But discomfort is not the end of the world. No one died from discomfort. So. Right. So anyway, yeah. The, I, I don't see that meme very often. And when I do, I that's not one that sets me into a psychotic frenzy the one that just recently i got into a large and a loud pissing match on the interwebs with was the asphalt one oh, oh there's an ass somewhere yeah <laughs> and everyone's sudden desire to put shoes on their damn dogs here's the thing that i think happens a lot the majority of the country does not live in a desert, right? Like the majority of the country has something called annual rainfall. And so they forget that there are places in this country where it actually does get to be 117 degrees on a regular basis. And people still have to live their lives. And our dogs have been living here for a very long time. And our dogs have been walking on ground that is incredibly hot for a very long time so let's talk a little bit about the physics oh no science again because oh i think it because i think it's relevant the first thing we need to understand is that okay let's assume that the numbers are correct and that if 79 degrees the asphalt's 120 or whatever i don't i don't know i, I didn't double yeah. check those numbers because who cares yeah. the fact of the matter is all of the wonderful math is bullshit irrelevant because your dog's feet have evolved to walk barefoot on rock. And you can say, well, oh, but that's not asphalt. Yeah, but if you've been to places where the rock is black, it's very similar to asphalt. And it, it has the same heat retain, retention capacity and the same ability to absorb heat. And it's blasted bloody hot to walk on super black stones, volcanic stones, things like that. So that's the first thing. The first thing to understand is if you look at the bottom of your dog's feet, you will see a callus on the bottom of that dog's foot. Now, I know everybody goes and gets their pedicure done and they get everybody's like, oh, no, I have calluses. Calluses are a good thing. They're the thing mm -hmm. that is on your foot that defends your foot against external attacks, which is why... 
We should create a meme that says, if you can't walk on the uneven gravel, neither can your dog. Because that's the same sort of concept. If you watch a human being, me, not a human being, a westernized American shoe-wearing human being walk across the desert, it's not a pretty scene. We are stepping on every sticker. Every rock stabs our, our foot. It hurts like hell. We're doing this gimpy, weird walk because we can barely move because our feet are so soft and Americanized and wimpy. Yeah. Our dogs aren't walking like that. Our dogs are sprinting through the... Now, if... Now, if yes, if your dog just moved from a New York high rise, yes, your dog will walk like that. But, but dogs here don't walk like that. Yeah. And they'll, they'll, yeah, they'll have that same motion. They'll have that same motion we have that kind of, you've seen it when you walk on hot sand or hot asphalt, that dancing speedy. One of the things I like to bring up about this booty craze is, oh, it bothers me so much. So first let's look at the fact I know. Well, that's what it is. This is everybody's getting shoes for their damn dogs. So the first yes. thing is dogs can only thermoregulate two ways. They can thermoregulate by panting or sweating through their feet. So if it's already hot out and you have taken away one of their ability, one half of their ability to thermoregulate, my thought is, and again, there's no research one way or the other on this. So this is just my thought is that I am actually probably creating a much more, a much higher likelihood of, of my dog overheating by putting on shoes than I am risking my dog hurting their tootsies by taking off the shoes. So I'm going to ask Emily, who's practiced here in Arizona for eight years, how many burned feet have you seen in the veterinary hospital? Zero, except... My own cat who stepped on my glass top electric stove. Okay. So but, fascinating. <laughs> zero, zero, from, <laughs> zero from walking on pavement. So I've seen exactly the same number. I've In 20 years, because I've practiced the entire time in Arizona. So, so in 17 years, I have seen zero burned feet in a dog. One burned set of feet and the chin and mouth on a cat. And after an investigation, we finally figured out it was a caustic material that they used to clean out the bathtub. Mm. Now, I did speak to my, my stepsister, Ariana, who's going to vet school right now. She practiced in uh, San Diego, and they did see burned feet in San Diego. Which is just weird, because San Diego doesn't get that damn hot. No, we all wear coats. You can tell the Arizonans, because we're the ones not wearing bikinis. We're wearing jackets. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The beach. Yeah. So no, I, the th- <laughs> Yes. Sorry. So the thinking is that the reason there's a couple reasons for that. The first is that people there are a little more careless with the heat. But I don't think that's true because I think we're pretty careless with the heat here too. I think what it really is is those dogs don't run on dirt ever. They are asphalt dogs. They walk on sidewalks. They walk on pavement. They don't have a lot of room. Uh, a de- of depth on their callus on their feet. And so they probably do burn faster. So I'm not saying dogs cannot burn their feet. Again, this is not about me negating the actual fact in the core of this piece of right. crap that's traveling internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What I will say is that there are, there's zero research into whether or not little boots on your dog's feet will impair your dog's ability to cool itself on hot days. If it's decent, if it, 
affects their ability to feel the ground and move through space using proprioception. Shoes are a mixed bag with human beings. Um, I mean, that's what the research says. The research says... My daughter calls them foot prisons. Yeah, foot yeah prisons. and there's a large... Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a huge kind of pushback in, about shoes in America and, and with the running community after... Uh, I can't remember the name of the book. Born Free or Run Free or something like that. And about the whole barefoot running thing. Right. There right. is something to be said for the fact that shoes in human beings are a mixed bag of both good and bad. Those shoes, the ones I'm talking about being a mixed bag, are holding up a bipedal animal and have tons of research behind the biomechanics of them. Right. The crap you're chucking on your dog's feet have 20 seconds of, of research and development put on them, not by a scientist, not by a veterinarian, not by a specialist in canine biomechanics, by a person who designs clothes for dogs. Who said, oh, hey, this will probably work, which if anybody has ever, if anybody's ever put booties on their dog for the first time and they stayed on, no problem, and a dog just wandered off like it was no big deal, oh, please, dear God, let us know, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's never, ever happened. Yeah. So, so my, my thing about the whole, this, this whole thing is now we, everybody, it's so funny. Cause it's like, people don't look back. It's, it's like, oh my God, my dog's going to burn his feet. Well, what the hell did they do five years ago before no one had heard of, before anyone had heard of dog shoes? Yeah. The, now my understanding is they do use dog booties on for the Iditarod dog sled dogs, but that is ice is a different animal than heat. Yeah, they're and trying to protect them from cuts, aren't they? There from cutting, yeah, because they'll because sh- their feet are wet effectively in the ice because they melt because of the sweat, yeah. and they just shred their feet. So that is different, and I would never speak one way or the other towards booties on ice because that's outside my ability to. Know. I don't even have uh, anecdotal evidence on that because I don't do right. ice because that's right. that's just jacked. But I can give you anecdotal evidence about living in the desert with dogs, and. It's probably easily 100 degrees outside right this minute, and my dogs are just as happily walking across my extremely dark brick backyard as they were earlier today. Whereas if I stepped out onto my hot brick backyard, I would be scampering uh, because my little westernized soft American feet are not used to walking on hot surfaces. Right. So that's uh, my argument is don't just don't don't put shoes on your feet on your dog's feet but also don't stand in a parking lot once 115 with your dog on a leash i mean use some common sense and that's this is not about the core of the meme being wrong it's about the, the message of don't be a dumbass is still clear but bad science bad facts factual inaccuracies, overblown bullshit, all of that is where I really, my hackles come up and I become combative. So that's the thing, right? Like all of these memes have a core point of truth and at their very basic, they're, they're right. But what happens is people with very little knowledge, very little scientific knowledge, very little animal care knowledge, very little experience who want to feel like they're making a difference in animal welfare, share these and scream bloody murder. And it gets watered down and dumbed down into don't leave dogs in cars. Don't walk dogs when the sun is out. I don't know. 
there's probably a bunch. Denver feed your dog rawhide. Uh, oh my god, rawhide! What do you feed your dog rawhide? Why? Why not just shoot it? Uh, death sticks on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, they're the most. I've heard they're the most dangerous things you can give your dog. Yeah. Do you know in 28 years of vet med, do you know how many wads of rawhide I have pulled out of obstructed dogs before? Let's guess. Three. Guess. I guess three. You'd be wrong. Zero. Zero. Zero rawhides. Lots of socks. Socks. Lots of underwear. Mm-hmm. There was once a dog that we pulled six golf balls out of. Hair ties out of cats. Yeah, hair ties. Uh, Tinsel out of cats or string yeah. out of cats. String out of cats. We yep. removed a D battery from a basset hound. Ooh, we removed stockings, socks. So we have removed, I don't remember ever having removed rawhide ever from a dog. I did, we did have one case that I remember distinctly of a little tiny fuzzy poodle, like one of those like seven pound poodles that kept getting um, blocked as it were. Yeah. His little, he couldn't poop. And it turned out that his dad was feeding him, I want to say, three or four of those ground-up rawhide sticks that look like particle board a day. Uh-huh. And he yeah. was just, he was just, it was like feeding the dog that much sawdust a day. And it was just, the dog wasn't blocked. We didn't do surgery. We simply told the guy, you know, maybe give the dog, it's a seven-pound dog, maybe give the dog half a stick a day and... <laughs> feed wet food you know let, let's move things along better again i'm not saying it can't happen right because labs like yeah but those i removed tennis sure. balls from yeah well tennis balls but also like you get the rawhide with the knots on the end some dorky lab is going to chew through get the knots swallow it whole yes it happens usually they vomit them up but i mean again it's user beware right like I know I can give my dog rawhide chips probably once a day, every day for their entire lives because they're not idiots and they chew their food. Now, have I had dogs that haven't done that, that won't chew their food, that will swallow pieces whole? Sure. And I just don't give them rawhide. But to say that, oh God, rawhide kills, it's going to kill your dog. It's the worst thing you can ever do. No, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah, the evidence. It's not the worst thing. Oh yeah, we I remember we got into an argument on Facebook together. We actually we actually uh tag teamed somebody on that once. You and I yeah. on the whole I'm rawhide. most Yeah, I remember that. So yeah. <laughs> So the meme that sends me through the roof is the photo of the two week old puppy. Oh yes. <laughs> that shows no bones touching other bones, just all of them floating independently, stating that it's a eight week old puppy, which is already a lie, to back the idea that we shouldn't do sports with our dogs until their joints are completely mature and their bones have completely calcified in. Now let me tell you why shit like this causes problems. I am aware of a Newfoundland breeder, Newfoundland being those giant, big, black, drooly, droopy dogs that were used for water rescue. I'm aware of a Newfoundland breeder that tells her puppy owners that her dogs cannot do stairs or walk more than a half a mile until they are 18 months old and their growth plates have closed. Those dogs are destroyed for life. Pardon me. Fucking criminal. 
that yeah. dog gets no social socialization, no exercise. It does not get to be a dog. It's bubble wrapped and kept hermetically sealed in a house until it's 18 months old. And now you have a 130 pound Cujo who doesn't know how to life. That's why those memes are problems. This one I actually did do some research on because this one, so unlike the other ones that we discussed prior, there's not a lot of research on car temperatures. No one's going to sit around and be like, okay, but if the windows are down and it's 87 degrees out and it's windy, I mean, no one's going to do that. That's all kind of common sense. The discussion about rawhide, you know, a million, you know, what are there, 50 million dogs in the United States, probably 35 million of them, 45 million of them eat rawhide. We have no problems. So, you know, so most of this is anecdotal. But this one, you know, I always think when I see this meme and I hear especially the agility folks who are just fanatical about it. I mean, they are some innocent person will go on Facebook and post their photo of their brand new puppy that they're so excited about, like a four or five month old puppy doing like three inch tall jumps. And Mm -hmm. they will be it will be like they handed a toddler a knife or no, a chainsaw. I mean, I'm like, cool. Jesus, people, cool your jets. So I actually thought to myself, you know, logically, if you're a logical person, the first thing you think of when you hear somebody say, you shouldn't do any exercise for your puppy until their bones are grown, your first thought should be, well, we have research on another animal who does a lot of athletics before their bones are fully formed. What does that inform us? And what would that animal be? Oh, humans, humans. Most of our Olympian gymnasts, if they were dogs, wouldn't be allowed to do a three-inch jump without being attacked by all the Karens in the world for being right. cruel to their pets. So they are not adults. They are sub-adults. Their bones are not fully grown. Right. All the kitty, little kitties you see, the little kids with the giant helmets that are so cute playing football and bashing into each other and they suck. Those little kids are playing sports, organized sports, way before their bones are mature. So I thought, well... Or their brains. Well, yeah. Yeah. What, what what does the science on human beings tell us? So this is what I discovered. That if you want to see bone growth... So here's the thing. This is what I discovered with the moon or, or space travel. Is if you are in... If you are in space, one of the big issues that people face when they are in space for prolonged periods is they lose muscle of bone mass. And if you lose bone mass, bone mass is very difficult to recover. And a loss of bone mass over time can lead in humans to osteoporosis, but also to, which is not a problem in dogs, but leads to a higher incidence of fracture, which is a problem in dogs. And so we want bones, the only way bones grow in diameter. So we're not talking about longitudinally. So longitudinally is that's those bone growths uh, that we're seeing. And by the way, those puppy photos that you're looking at the x-rays, there's cartilage. You just can't see it in those x-rays. The cartilage is there. Those bones aren't floating. They are literally attached to each other with tendons and ligaments and cartilage. So they are in contact. So if we want our bones to grow outward, thicken, get thicker, and become stronger, the only way to do that is through weight loading. That is why they suggest that children should play and run and jump. Because running and jumping 
causes stress to your bones that creates bone growth. So what they discovered is in a, in a study of 10 and a half year old girls who are training, get this, eight to 12 hours a week in either swimming or 10 to 15 hours a week in gymnastics versus control girls who were doing less than three hours a week. They found a higher level of bone growth in the gymnasts, not in the swimmers and not in the control group. So not in people doing low impact sports or no sports, only right. in those Only in the impact, impact sports. sports. Right. And I, you know, what would a 10 year old girl be equivalent of in a puppy? What would that be? Maybe 12 weeks? Yeah. Uh, well, or take? I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say three or four months. So yeah. Yeah. Probably right in there. That'd be the equivalent of a 10 year old girl. And they're there. Let me go back over this guys. She's working out 10 to 15 hours a week. Right. I don't, I don't train agility. So I don't know how often people or how long people train in agility, but I strongly suspect it's not that. I mean, unless uh, you have an agility set up in your backyard, you're training for maximum an hour a week. Yeah. I would assume. Unless, unless you're super duper wealthy and you can afford four classes a week. Yeah. And maybe okay. if you're really, uh, if you're at the higher end and you're, you know, you're doing like you are going for the dog going to worlds or something. Yeah. But. You're going to worlds. Then you're probably training in that kind of number. But I, I, the normal person who's excited about the sport and maybe sets up a cheap teeter in the backyard or an A-frame or has, you know, the poles, the weave poles, they're not training. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I have seven dogs. I don't train that many hours with my own dogs. Here's the other thing I would say to that too. Like, Okay, first of all, it's got to be a repetitive motion. Yes. This is training, not just running. This is training, training, training. So you know they're drilling. I took gymnastics as a kid. I was breathtakingly bad at it. But it's drilling. It's doing the movement, doing the movement, doing the movement, doing the movement over and over and over again. Right. And again, we have to look at the hours involved. So the National Institute of Health actually has recommendations for childhood sports. They don't mention... The difference between training hard and not training at all. They say that all, most kids should be in sports. And they suggest that what children should do is they should not specialize early. And that's what makes sense to me. If you want yes. your dog to be an agility dog, the nice thing about agility is that is a whole bunch of different movements. And so my thinking would be is if you want to train your dog to do agility, that you have things like the A-frame, but you also go hiking and that you do sprinting, but you also do, you know, long jumps and or obedience jumps or things like that, that you mix it up enough that their bones grow in different directions. Because the other thing I looked up, so this was all children that I looked up, but this was a fascinating one. And I actually got into a conversation on this on Clubhouse, which are you on Clubhouse, Emily? Are you a cool kid or not? I am not part of the cool kids club. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So anyway, I, be, I was briefly addicted to Clubhouse and then I kind of got over it. But anyway, I did meet a really fascinating group of people on a purebred dog talk. We had a great conversation. And she brought up, because we talked about adolescent, adolescent dogs and movement. And she brought up, she was an old horse person. She brought up a thoroughbred study. Because I come from the horse world. And, and right. we in the horse world are are not as crazed necessarily as the agility folks and the dog people, but we really did. We did think, you know, back the horse slowly. Don't worry about 
jumping in the horse on the saddle until they're three or four years old, let the bones, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we were training for dressage, which is a different sport. But we'd see these thoroughbreds on the racetrack just breaking down left and right. And we, we would always say, well, it's because you start them too young. Because most of those horses are started at two, which is way, very, very young. So she and I were talking about that in Clubhouse, and I mentioned that that was my perspective. And she's like, oh, no, you should read this study that was done on Australian thoroughbreds. And I'm, I have believed this for, I'm going to say, I've believed this well over 20 years. I think I've believed what I believe about starting horses early, that you shouldn't do it. I think I've believed that for at least 30 years. Okay. And I've told other people that, and I've started my own cults with that philosophy. So I read the study because guess what? Believing something without evidence is not the same as evidence. And if you believe something and somebody tells you that there's evidence disproving your belief, you should rush out and read that. You have to. If you don't, That means you're too afraid to walk away from your own beliefs. And that is a crippling place to be. So I did. I read this. That's just dogma, not education. Yeah. Yeah. So I did. I read the study and it was fascinating. It was a fact. And I really didn't want to believe it. I, my whole heart and soul was like, this is bullshit, but I'm reading it. And numbers, unfortunately, tend not to lie. And I just kept digging. I, I, you know, I was like, well, this is one study. And I, I think as a retrospective study, but it had a huge cohort of horses. I think it was like 500 horses. But I'm like, well, maybe Australian horses are, are different. So anyway, the study that I'm talking about here is a lot of studies, what they do is they actually go back through all of the literature about a given topic, and they look at the, the whole breadth of literature to see what the whole, all of the literature kind of comes to the conclusion of. One study by itself is kind of useless. The purpose of science is not to do one study and rest on your laurels. The purpose of science is to do one study, have an outcome, and then have other studies setting out to disprove, not prove, disprove that piece of information. If you are disproved on every front, then eventually you can be told your study is probably true. So these guys did a review of studies, which means they went through all of the literature on young horses started, horses started young. And the best place to do the study is on racehorses. We have great numbers in racehorses. And it's unfortunate, but it's because when they break down, they break down so catastrophically and so publicly that it's kind of hard to miss. Whereas horses that become lame in, in backyards and things like that, you know, we don't know their training regimen. We, we don't know anything about them. We don't know how they're ridden. Thoroughbreds racehorses are pretty easy. You know, they, they go in a straight, they go in a one circle, a big oval. They, we know exactly what their training regimens kind of look like. So anyway, this is really fascinating. What they discovered is that 77% of racing thoroughbreds running with open growth plates were sound after a year of racing. 77%. This is sound. 55 to 56% of horses in partially closed or fully closed plates were sound. So horses with open plates actually remained sounder through a racing year. And a racing year is very, this isn't fluffy shit. This is really hard work, a year of racing for a horse. 
Yeah, they the other thing every weekend, right? Like they're running every weekend. Um, generally every two or three weekends. Yeah, but they are. Okay. Yeah, but they're doing works. I think once or twice. Generally, once or twice a week. It's been a long time since I worked in the race industry, and I didn't pay a lot of attention. Apparently, um, so then they also looked at a study that was five months in length uh, of two-year-old Arabian horses, where they were performing a sixty-k endurance ride every three weeks. I can't do the math on sixty-k. Hmm. That's something in miles. I should know that. Sixty <laughs> percent of sixty is maybe thirty-five miles. Does that sound right? I'm a math atheist. Okay, so I think thirty-five-ish miles. So they're doing a thirty-five-ish mile endurance ride every three weeks. Doing slow and slow, which is a, that's what we call it in, in training when you're training for a sport, does not do anything to bone mineral content. Their bones showed no additional laying on of, of mineralization. They were just as likely to be injured at the beginning of that as after. Whereas a study on Holstein calves, yes, cows, showed that, and I don't know why they chose this distance, a 71-meter sprint, maybe that was the size of their, size of their pasture. I don't maybe. <laughs> One day a week led to a 23% increase in the force required to fracture the lower leg bone. I don't want to know how they discovered that. Yeah, how they actually yeah, butchered yeah. and then they broke yes. it. But, because um, they are, in fact, a food animal. But yes. it, it show, it, this is one of those things where every study that they were looking at kind of showed short-term dynamic exercise. This is actually a quote. Short-term dynamic exercise at an adolescent can lead to a beneficial changes in bone morphology, higher fractional fracture force, and lower fraction risk at maturity. Because the other thing they found is that starting these horses young, at two years old, not only were they sounder at two than they would be if they started them at three, but they were sounder out longer than horses that waited. So waiting a year actually cost your horse money and useful years on the track. Well, and if you think about it, it kind of makes sense because, okay, so you lose your ever-loving mind. You decide you're going to join a gym, right? And you pay for the, the or you get the free, I'm going to work with a, a personal trainer when you sign up for the gym. And that personal trainer will tell you that, you know, you're sore because you've got these micro tears in your muscles and that's what helps build more muscle, right? You kind of slightly injure your muscles when you work out and your body builds more muscle tissue to help compensate for that. Well, the Correct. same sort of thing is happening with bone development, right? So yes. you're young, your, your body is trying to lay down calcium for bones and your muscles are gently and slightly pulling and damaging those bones with, with exercise as you're growing and developing. They're not breaking bones. They're not breaking muscles or anything like that, but there's enough pull and tug and disturbance on that bone for your body to go, Oh shit, that one's going to get used. We should probably put some more calcium in there. Yeah. And it just makes sense that if you don't do that, if you don't signal to your body, Hey, dude, major bone going to be using it better make it strong. It's not going to. Yeah. It's just going to be like, now nah, we're cool. So what's fascinating about everything I just read is that, so I have a one-year-old puppy 
well, 11 months, but let's be, we'll just round up. So I have an 11 month old puppy, Matilda here. She's not a thoroughbred racehorse. She's a little dinky puppy. And she is the worst Frisbee catcher in the world. Like it's, she, (laughs) she leaps into the air like a flying monkey and where she leaps and the timing of it has almost no correlation to the actual location of where the Frisbee is. And (laughs) she lands. Yeah. (laughs) She lands randomly on any given assortment of legs. And so I look at that and I'm like, Oh my God. So I'm still judgy is what I'm saying. I'm when I, I, there's a person here in town who has disc dogs and I won't mention the breed cause I'd give the person away, but they're an athletic breed, like a border collie. They have slightly heavier, uh, adult weight, more like an Aussie. And this person will have these dogs jumping 10, 15 feet in the air at six, seven, eight months old. And I'm cringing in horror, but I should be. And part of me is still justifying my beliefs, right? Part of me, and this is what we always have to watch out for. Are we justifying our beliefs? And maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm right. Who knows? So my justification for that is, uh, these dogs aren't racing on a flat surface like a thoroughbred racehorse. So I do believe there is a difference. So if I had a sight hound puppy and I wanted my sight hound puppy to put on bone because we know that leg fractures are very common in sight hounds, like greyhounds, when they are racing because of the stressors just of the race, actually of just racing, can fracture bones. And we know that if we've ever worked with greyhound, racing greyhounds or generally racing greyhound rescue. I've never worked with actual racing greyhounds, only rescued ones, but they, a lot of them come in with fractures. And, but knowing this information now, I would think, well, if I wanted to do racing, flat racing with a racing type greyhound, like a Borzoi or something like that, I would absolutely add sprinting into the regimen as a puppy. Absolutely. I would not think twice about practicing my puppies on flat sprints from the age that they're old enough to figure out how to work their legs. I have no qualms about that because the research that I just read defends the idea that if you lay that bone early and you keep laying it, because the other piece of the research that they talked about was that horses broke down more often. And they're talking about catastrophic breaking down, which is thoroughbred speak for pretty much euthanized on the track is what that pretty much means. Right. Is, right. Um, I mean, a catastrophic breakdown is generally a snapping a bone in half and you're done. Right. Um, those happened more, far more often statistically after a layoff. If the horses were rested and came back after a layoff, that's when those catastrophic injuries occurred more right. often statistically. So that tells you that rests are not a good thing, at least not full on rest. And generally in a racehorse, those rests would be dictated by injury. With my greyhound puppy, I would have no problem letting my greyhound puppy sprint up and down the mountain. And I do let my border collies sprint up and down at will. And I will race them against each other and they can chase the ATV as long as they don't get under the tires and get smushed. I'll let them run up and down the ATV as long as they are happy and staying in front of the ATV. As in running forward of the ATV, not kind of dragging behind. I don't want to tire them out because they are puppies. So, but having said all that, I will justify my belief that it is still inappropriate (laughs) 
to have puppies leaping 10 and 15 feet off the ground to catch a frisbee, not because it's bad for their overall bone growth, because I don't believe it is, but it's because they're dumbasses and they don't know how to land. And unlike yeah, exactly. a child, unlike a gymnast who you can teach how to land, I mean, you think of gymnasts and how much work goes into being a gymnast, they, the first thing a gymnast learns is how to land. And they're also put on all sorts of padding and there's, they're very careful with how they land. You, to my knowledge, you cannot train a dog how not to land like a monkey with some sort of congenital defect. Well, and they just fling themselves, right? Especially the young ones. Like, you know, we train for, well, this is a whole nother podcast, but we train <laughs> for, I'm going to say enthusiasm because the D word has been spoiled for me. So we train for enthusiasm. Wait, what's the D word? Right? What is it? I'm, I'm not caffeinated. Drive. 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 Oh, is that a bad word now? It's a wildly misused word. Oh, um, no. Yeah, I love drive. I want drive. That's another podcast. Don't make me go there. Um, <laughs> so, so we train for enthusiasm, right? So we want these dogs to fling themselves headlong into the abyss. But when it comes to puppies and lack of self-preservation yeah that's that's your danger point there not not necessarily the impact of frisbee play it's the enthusiasm of the impact and whether or and not the stupidity yeah. and the stupidity of the body directing said impact yeah so like if somebody wanted to take their puppy out and do rollers for them that's where you roll the frisbee yes along and that's what i do with matilda than, yeah yep that's great yeah. do that yeah. if you have a if you have the athletic ability, which I don't, to do low and slow frisbee catches where they're not going to have to leave the ground or maybe just their front feet will have to leave the ground to catch the frisbee. Great. More power to you. A, I don't. B, there's such a thing as wind, which makes everything wildly unpredictable. So, you know, there's that to be considered as well. But yeah, it's, there are still some things that I think are dangerous for puppies to do, but it's more the, it's more the nature of the sport than the fact that they're puppies. That's the problem. Yeah. And I'm thinking, so I'm thinking as you're speaking, so, so I have an Australian shepherd, Ruby and Ruby catches the Frisbee. So tag my border collie goes, she goes directly underneath the Frisbee, then launches herself straight up and looks again, like a, a monkey with rabies. Maybe it's a border collie thing. Yeah. And then Matilda does the same thing. And Ruby on their hand, flings herself forward like she's diving off a dock for dock diving. And it's a big, beautiful movement that is forward moving the whole time. If I had a puppy who moved like that, if I could throw the Frisbee and I know the puppy would take off at a distance, sail through the air, catch the Frisbee and land going forward, not making torquing things, I would not be concerned, I think, about doing that with a puppy. The other thing I yeah. would, knowing what I know about what they've done with research with, with the hurt, with the, the thoroughbreds, I would not be afraid to jump a puppy over jumps as long as I can ensure that the puppy's jump mechanics are sound. Right. If I could ensure sound jump mechanics, the research would imply that it is absolutely safe and in fact optimal that I would get my puppy jumping sooner rather than later so that they have the bone and tendon and ligament strength for later on when they're a larger animal. That's what the research would imply to me is that if, if my puppy 
were young, but I could control the, for the mechanics. If I could create appropriate mechanics in the air and make sure the jumpy, the puppy right. jumps appropriately, that it would be safe to do so. Now, one caveat to all of what I'm saying, because there's always caveats, is a two-year-old horse is very close to being its full height because of the way horses mature. They're generally about 70 to 80% of their full height. Whereas a puppy who's eight weeks might be 10% of their adult height and weight. So there's a lot more growth in the future of a puppy. So the research, just because I'm saying these things today, does not mean the research really backs what I'm saying either. Uh, Human beings have a, a much more similar growth pattern to dogs than to say horses. So if we were going to compare a puppy to anything, it'd probably be much better off to compare them to a child. And there, our, our research is very robust, though we don't allow children to break down catastrophically on the track and we don't shoot them. But we do end their careers and we don't want to do that. You know, we don't want to wash out 90% of our young gymnasts uh, with injuries. You know, we want right. them to make it to the Olympics. And the other thing to be aware of is the amount of training. I mean, I remember being, and so I never, were you ever like an athlete, like a kid athlete <laughs> from that snort? I take oh, it that God. the answer is no. <laughs> Anybody so, that knows me is now laughing hysterically to the point of needing oxygen. So, Yeah. So I was never a kid athlete. I mean, I was, and actually it's interesting when they talk about athletic injuries, they do include things like riding horses, which is what I did. And I don't necessarily think that counts because most of those injuries are not caused by overtraining. They're caused by horses. So I mean, I did, I did sustain, if you, if you want to call a horse injury, a sports injury, you can say that I did suffer several sports injuries as a child, but a horse laying on you is not normal behavior. So anyway, I never trained uh, competitively. I was not, a, I was not a, a competitive kid. I was a competitive adult. I, I went through a phase. But even, so when I was training as an adult, I, I was training easily anywhere from 10 to 15 hours a week. People yeah. just, I just, unless I'm living in La La Land, I just don't think people are doing that with their dogs. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. even, and the people who are, those people are so knowledgeable that we're not talking to them. We're right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, that's, but honestly, if you think about it, this is the problem with these memes, right? Is that yeah. it doesn't affect the people who don't know any better because most of those people don't pay attention to such things. It affects the people whose dogs have separation anxiety and they know that they can't leave them at home. So they take them in their air conditioned car with their battery operated fan and their cooling pad and their illuminate and they you know leave them parked in the shade while they go get groceries and And come out to find six cops and a broken (laughs) window right those are the people it affects it doesn't affect you know becky the clueless who puts her boston 14 year old boston terrier in her, you know, Prius or whatever, and then parks it in the middle of the target parking lot and goes and wanders around looking for sales. Like she's oblivious to it. So it's hard because it, it, there's a nugget of truth to each of these, but they're blown so out of proportion and they're taken as gospel, you know, right down to the word 
never leave your dog in a car, never run your puppy, never take your dog out for a walk on a hot day. And people get very, very, very emotional about it. And this is what I want to say to that. Leave the emotion has no place in these conversations. I'm sorry. This is not a place for emotion. This is a place for standing back and saying, I feel that it is not okay for my dog to walk on a hot surface without wearing shoes. That's my feeling. Right. But you just told me that the, at, there's no evidence backing my feeling. So I need to make a choice, right? I have to make a choice based on my feeling. Am I going to move forward with my behavior? Sure, maybe. Why not? It makes me feel better. But I shouldn't argue the science with my emotion. Right. So I think we'll visit briefly. Because this, I don't know the answer to this. And it'll be fun because I was like throwing things out that I don't know what your answer to this is. Are there good foods? Are there bad foods? What difference does quality of the food, and I'm putting quality in air quotes because, of course, that's a definition, make at the end to your dog's life and longevity? I have come full circle on this so many times I'm dizzy. So full disclosure, I once upon a time thought any food with corn in it was the devil's spawn. Raw was the only way to go. Uh, Grain-free is ideal. Like I've been, I've been in all of the camps, right? And you know where I've, you know where I've settled? Where are you? I am at the, the food that you can afford that your dog will eat is the right food. That's, that's what I'm going with. It, it fed is best. Let's go with that. Fed is best. So again, there's 40 bajillion factors in this, right? Yeah. Um, I had an old pit bull who could eat pedigree and did great on it and loved it and never skipped a meal. I have a fancy border collie who I bought Purina Pro Plan 3020 fancy food, and he skipped probably easily three to four meals a week. Wouldn't eat it. So every dog is different. Every family's budget is different. Uh, Blue Buffalo has the world's biggest marketing budget of any dog food I've ever come across, and please keep that in mind. They own Um, two aisles of PetSmart. Back-to-back yeah. aisles. There's another one to keep in mind. The dogfoodadvisor.com. Dentist. Started, created, and ran by a human dentist. He's a dentist. He's a dentist. Though I do think he's, I think he's pretty accurate, to be he fair. Does, I mean, he does consult with vets. But, right, but know your sources, right? Like, yes. never, never, never assume. And, right. you know, I, are there... Are there varieties of quality of ingredients in dog food? Sure, just like there is in, in human food, right? Would I like to be able to eat every meal from Fleming's? Shit, yes. yes. Their steak is amazing. Yes. Will I do just fine on a McDonald's cheeseburger? No, you'll yeah. die instantly. Well, I mean, I'll do something instantly, but I probably won't die. <laughs> like you. So gross. So, of course I, mean, I say that, but I eat at Taco Bell, so who am I to speak? <laughs> right. So again, if there's too many factors for it to be a blanket statement on anything, right? Like if your dog has medical needs that need to be managed on a prescription diet, that's different. You need yeah. to talk to your vet about that. And 
oh my God, no, we don't get kickbacks. Nobody makes any money off of Hills food. Nobody except Hills. We get yeah. nothing from it. Nothing. Nothing. You get, you get free food. You get you, you get free no, food. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, Not we anymore. Don't. No. See, no, I used get, to get it, get, but I but I don't feed shit with corn in it, so I never used it. No, we get discounted food. And you know where the whole corn thing came from? Does anybody remember? This is memory span of a goldfish. Do you know where the whole corn is bad for dogs came from? No. Tell 20, me. Years, 20 years ago when they had the first major dog food recall for the melamine in dog food. <gasps> it was in corn. It was in corn. It was a powder that was added to the corn to up the protein level when it was tested. Yeah. Well, and actually, so the corn, because I worked with a veterinarian prior to that scare who was very anti-corn. And, and and it's because the argument is, is that it's a cheap filler. And it, it is a lower value protein or a grain. But what I'll tell people now, now corn is simply a hallmark of the quality of the food. It in itself has no intrinsic value one way or the other. I mean, corn is very valuable nutritionally. Uh, I mean, the Native Americans, that was one third of their staple diet was corn. Well, and here's and, the thing, too. It depends humans, on how it's put more into so. the food, too. Yeah. Because if it's broken down already, then there's it's more nutritionally available, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not like eating whole corn. And we all know what happens to humans when they eat whole corn. It's not like that. It's broken down. Yeah. Corn has a great source of carbohydrates. Yeah. It's a, it's it has easy, value. quick energy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. So this is where I'm at. And I think this is and I'm kind of bringing this back full circle to emotion versus science and being aware of it. So I, I too have run now I didn't I could never afford to run the whole gamut because I have the number of dogs I have and the size of the dogs. I don't own seven chihuahuas. Um, So I started off with Hills because that was the only good food that existed when I first owned pets. And so I started with Hills and then I moved on to Pure and a Pro Plan because it's easier to get back then. Uh, Hills, you could only get through your veterinarian. And then when all the quote unquote good foods came out, I kind of moved from Neutro through some other brands and um, just kind of looked at my dog's coats and paid attention. Uh And... I landed, I never went to grain free. I did briefly try a bag of one bag of grain free. The brand was, it was called uh, California natural and it was yes. called, it was Evo was yep. the name yep. of that I diet. That. And my German shepherd blew diarrhea for three solid weeks. So I'm like, okay, this won't work for him. That and my other dogs lost weight. And I think it's because the protein was so high and the carbohydrates were so low that I, they couldn't, it was not metabolizable energy for my high drive dogs. Right. But it was great for a dog that I put on a massive diet. It was fantastic for that dog. But so I never really married and I never understood why a grain could be evil. I was always a little baffled by that corn. I did was willing to vilify just cause it's overused and, and just it's too ubiquitous in, in the world. I, I would have no problem feeding my dog corn. I mean, I would give them leftover corn or, you know, if I ate corn on my plate, I, I'd have no, I don't think of it as bad in of itself, but I think in food at this point, it's a hallmark for the quality of the food. You're not going to find corn by and large in the higher quality. I'm going to disagree with that. 
I'm going to disagree with that. And I'm going to disagree with it because you're not going to find it because of the fantastic advertising job that Blue Buffalo has done. Not no, 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 because I'm not there's anything that. wrong with it, no, but because I, no, higher quality, right. higher quality foods are like, yeah, we don't want to touch that because people won't buy our food if they see it. And I don't think it's all Blue Buffalo because, like I said, it came from the veterinarian that I worked for. And and I'm not – again, you're right. I'm not saying it it means anything other than now it's a stand-in to tell you that those food companies don't even give a shit about the marketing. They've just given up. So I never went grain-free partly because when I did do it, my dogs lost weight and or blue diarrhea for three weeks. And I, I always, I stayed in fish-based diets because my German shepherds did better. Um, they tend to be wimps. I just had three in a row that all kind of looked like crap or had diarrhea if they were on anything but fish-based. So I stuck with fish-based yeah. and all those tend to have a little grain in them. And so, but watch in the veterinary world, I'd watch these dogs come in and you'd see these 15 and 16 year old backyard bred ranch dogs that you could see the hair coat. The hair coat was always a giveaway that they were eating a, a poorer quality diet. I mean, when you could see on the hair coat, especially when they got older, but they'd see, still be 17 years old. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. A poorer quality diet for one dog is not the same for another dog. Like, well, there's so that. Keep that in mind. Yeah, keep it. And it also depends on the dog's life stage, right? Like your mm-hmm. dog might do fine on old Roy until he hits eight. And now suddenly he's not so great anymore. Just like I used to be able to eat greasy pizza and French fries three times a day until I hit like 30. And then life said, not no more. So, I mean, there's so many factors. Well, I also think that the poor quality foods, because the O'Roy is garbage in my opinion, and it should never be fed any dog ever under any circumstances. But having said that, if you feed enough real food beside it, it probably can be nutritionally balanced. But then I would ask myself why. So this is where the, the evidence that exists, which is there is no evidence that I'm aware of that food, quote unquote, quality, because that right there is a fuzzy word that no one can understand has any bearing on canine longevity. The only longevity longitudinal study that I remember is the Labrador study by Purina, which is a great study in that it shows related, follows related Labradors through their entire lives. They are eating a single band of dog food, but they had two years additional life if they were kept light. That was the only difference, fat versus skinny. And... So even though the research is weak, that quote unquote high quality food is better, emotionally, I cannot feed my dogs a quote unquote poor quality diet. I can't, I cannot bring myself to do it. So in spite of, now if somebody asks me, I'll tell them, here's the science and here's my emotional take. And these are separate. I'm not yes. going to take my emotional like when you said a dog can be on Oroy for eight years and be fine, I cringed to my soul in <laughs> horror, thinking I wouldn't feed that to the rats that live in my building. But the research on whether or not the dog fed Oroy or the dogs fed off, you know, fresh raw, blah, 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 the barf diet or whatever, right. either of those dogs will live longer have lower incidences of mortality and morbidity morbidity through their lives. Until that research exists, and it has to be robust, 
Right. It cannot just be we took a bunch of dogs that were owned by people and we put them on these diets and they were miraculously better. Because if you're doing something with their diet, I guarantee you're doing something with their caloric intake too. And in my opinion, the real gold standard of when your dog lives and dies has very little to do with what you feed and absolutely everything to do with how much you feed. Yeah. Yep. Yup. And if you want to see obese dogs, and I'm going to say it, I'm going to go here. Why not? This They don't know where to find me. Um, <laughs> if you want to see an example of a morbidly obese dog, go look at the labs at the Westminster show. No, those are hogs. You know, we've been yammering on for like an hour and a half. Now. I know. We need to stop now. But I just wanted to bring up that. I just wanted to ask that last little question. So, because I don't get to talk to you very often. Yeah, I, I had to poke the bear. And we never get to chat. So, I'll edit this down. It'll be a little shorter. So, anyway, <laughs> thank you very much, Emily, for showing yes. up. I appreciate oh it. It was God. wonderful chatting with you. Yeah. Guys, if you like this podcast, do me a favor tell your friends and share it with your pals. And, uh, you know, start an argument on Facebook because I'm oh, all yes, in. Please. Just make sure you <laughs> use facts. <laughs> Awesome. Everybody have great training and I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.